Y'all doing good today? Hey, um, I believe this morning that Christ wants me to tell you one thing. And if you don't get anything else out of today, remember this one thing, and it's this. Pay attention to the tension in your life. All of us in this room have some sort of tension that's going on in our lives, whether it be job tension or um, the world's gone crazy type of tension or uh, family tension. I don't, know, I don't know what tension you have, but pay attention to the tension because there's this misconception sometimes that tension is a bad thing. Um, but, but in reality, it is tension that makes something weak grow stronger. It's like when a, when, a, when a guy goes into a gym or a female goes into a gym, it don't matter. Uh-huh. And if somebody goes into a gym and they add weight to the barbell, it puts tension, it puts stress, it, puts, it, it, it does something, it breaks down the muscles in your body. And the reason it breaks muscles down is because for muscles to grow, they have to be broke down. And they have to regenerate stronger. Tension is not a bad thing. Or like going into a, going into a college classroom and the, the professor poses a question that causes you to dig down deeper to figure out what exactly you really believe. But see, it, it strengthens your mind. It strengthens your body. We, like we're okay with tension when it comes to that kind of stuff. But sometimes, what about the tension that's in our spiritual life? Because all of us are, from, are in one way or another, whether you're a believer or not a believer, your belief system, your faith system, because everybody has a faith system. I don't care if you believe in Jesus or not. You, all, you have faith in something, right? It's going to come under some tension. And how you pay attention to that tension determines which direction you go in life. If you just ignore the tension, it's not, it also will not be good for your faith and your spirituality. Especially in a world with such conflicting messages, like we have a world. We're in a world that says that tension is a bad thing. Like we should all get all, we all should coexist and be all, but they can't coexist with us because we believe differently, right? Like, but even even in the sense of the world that in which we live in, like um, we have friends and family and and coworkers who disagree with our faith, which causes some tension. Like we live in a world where where men are men and so are some of the women. Where it's okay, it's not okay to kill a uh, kill a man on the street, but it is okay to kill to kill a person before they ever see the light of day. And this causes some tension with us and our fellow workers, right? And I'm not here, to, if you're going to listen to this later, if you're here in this room, I'm not condemning you at all. In fact, I want you to know that Jesus loves you and I love you and God has a destiny for your life that's greater than anything you can even imagine, even your own opinion. I want you to know that Jesus loves you and he wants to restore and redeem your present and your past. I love you and I want you to know that, that even though we disagree, I want you to find the, life, the, 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 find the joy in life that Christ has destined for you. But the truth is for many of us in this room and those who may be listening online later who say we, we are believers, this causes some tension in our everyday life. Not just these two things that I brought up. There's a whole slew of things and how you react to those things, those things that are con- contrary to what you believe will either lead you farther away from the faith and the strength, the strength and the faith that Christ has for you or lead you towards stronger belief system and, and bigger impact. We're entering chapter 6 of our, of our study of the book of John. And in this chapter, so Jesus has healed the man by the pool. He's had his encounter um, with, his, with, the, uh, with the religious leaders where he pretty much told them off, you know, and he told them who he really was. 
We talked about that last week, and I said I was going to try to get through all of chapter 6, but that's not going to happen, let's say you're aware. Um, But this story picks up right after his encounter, and it's where Jesus poses a question that oftentimes we just overread because we know the story. But it's this question, this question that he asks is simple, but it it, it causes the disciples to have some tension. Jesus healed healed this man by the pool of Bethesda, and he he has his encounter with the religious leaders. And watch what it says in John 6, 1. It says, after this, Jesus went to the other side of the lake of Tiberias, which is also known as Lake Galilee, and a massive crowd of people followed him everywhere. Because people like Jesus. If people don't like you and you're using the excuse because I'm a Christian, it's it's not because of that. Okay, because people wanted to be around Jesus. They weren't they were attracted by his miracles and and the healing and they watched him that they watched him perform. Jesus went up the slope of a hill and sat down with his disciples because there's something about being alone with Jesus that is absolutely amazing. Like Jesus wants to be with you. Jesus wants to be with you. Now, it was approaching the time of the Jewish celebration of Passover, and there were many pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem in the crowd. Jesus sat down. He looked out and saw a massive crowd of people scrambling up the hill, for they wanted to be near him. So he turned to Philip and said, here's the question. It seems like a simple question, but it rocks the world. Where will we buy enough food to feed all these people? Now, Jesus already knew what he was about to do, but he said, to, said this to stretch Philip's faith. He caused some tension that causes a stretch that causes things to break down so that it can build back stronger. See, Jesus actually poses this question to cause some tension. So you have to understand, you have to lay out the tension here, right? So Jesus just asked them to come be his disciples, to drop everything to come follow him. Jobs, money, families, like they have no resources. And he looks at them and says, so how are you going to feed these people? Um, Jesus, um, I think that might be your problem because we've left everything. We, like, we've seen you do some crazy stuff, but we don't have anything. But here's a, here's a deal. Here's a note that I want you to write down. It's this. Jesus will often put us in what seems to be impossible situations to show us his immeasurable power. How many of you all have ever been in a situation and you're like, Jesus, why'd you put me here? <laughs> like, why am I here? Like, I'm follow, like I imagine like Peter when he gets on the, on the uh, shipwreck on Malta and then gets bit by a snake. He's like, I'm doing your work. <laughs> like, what, what, what are you doing? I think sometimes we over we we think sometimes when we're going through a season that seems to be rough that it's either the devil fighting us. But I often often wonder if it's because God is trying to stretch us a little bit. Now He's not a tempter of man. The Bible's clear of that. He's not going to put you in a situation where you're tempted, but He will put you in a situation where you're stretched. Where you because here's I know people say, well that's just a, your your belief system is just a crutch. Yes, it absolutely is. It's absolutely a crutch. Jesus, why have you put me here? Why am, I, why am I going through this? And Jesus will put you in some tension because he wants to t- you to take your, your next step in faith. He wants you to take your next steps in your faith with him. 
but it says that he already knew what he was about to do. Sometimes we, we enter those situations or those circumstances in our life and we're just like, God, I don't, like, there's too much tension here. There's too much tension. Like, I don't know, like, do you know what you're doing? He clearly knows what he's doing. Like, he tells us all the way back in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Right? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you the future and a hope. So even in the midst of some horrible situations, we can have this hope that whatever he has for us at the end of this valley, at the end of this tension, at the end of this pain point in my life, that it's going to be even greater than I could ever dream, think, or imagine. If Christ brings it to us, he brings it to you, you can trust he has something greater for you. Because here's the deal, the real challenge of faith will be accepting Christ's process with you. See, we live in a we live in an age where everything's microwavable, right? We have microwave popcorn, in, instant instant oatmeal. We want instant gratification. We, if we want to watch a movie, we can just click on Netflix and stream it real quick. Like we want it right then. We don't like the process of having to call the movie theater. Hey, what time the movie start today? Hey, you got it? Is there still tickets available? Like, no, no. We instantly we know, right? And in, in many ways, I think that has harmed us. Because we think that our lives and our process, our faith should happen like this. But it's not. It's a journey. And inside of that journey, there's going to be hard, some pain points, some tension, some things that happen in our lives that we're just like, why? And it's okay to ask why. In fact, I think God's big enough to handle your why questions. Well, we can't lose faith in the fact that whatever he has for us on the other side is better than what we could even dream, think, or imagine. If Christ brings us to you, you can trust that he has something greater. Trust the process. So listen to this tension, this cause with the disciples. Philip answered, the very one Jesus asked to build his faith, says, well, I suppose if, we're, if we were to give everyone a snack, it would, it would cost thousands of dollars to buy enough food. You're right. You're not thinking the way Jesus wants you to think. But just then, Andrew, Peter's brother, spoke up and said, look, here's a young person with five barley loaves and two small fish. But how far would that go with this huge crowd? Like he's being a smart aleck. <laughs> like, Can you do something with this, Jesus? Verse 10 says, Jesus says, have everyone sit, sit down. And Jesus said to his disciples, so on the vast grassy slope, more than 5,000 hungry people sit down. That's 5,000 men plus wives and kids and everything, goats. They probably didn't have pigs because they were Jewish. But he goes on to say, Jesus then took the barley loaves and the fish and gave thanks to God. And then, and then, then gave it to his disciples to, to, this, to distribute to the people. Miraculously, the food multiplied with everyone eating as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. God is a God of multiplication. But for multiplication to happen, Christ has to break what you're holding on to. I'm going to say it again. Christ has to break what you're holding on to for multiplication. You want better, you want more, because I believe Jesus wants more for you. He has to break it, break what you're holding on to. I think sometimes the reason that we're not seeing any movements in our life is because we're not turning the very things that we're wanting God to heal and to, and to multiply. We're not 
actually handing it over to him and saying, it's yours. Do with it what you want. We forget the fact that Scripture over and over and over again barely clearly, clearly says that it's our brokenness that Christ blesses. Because why would he bless something that's already good? Right? But we try to hide our brokenness. So Jesus takes this bread like, and breaks it. His boy was, that's probably that boy's family's lunch that day. He breaks it. It's like, what are you holding on to so tightly that it's keeping you from truly living in the power that Christ says you already have? For me, if I were, if I were going to be honest, it's logic. I'm a thinker. I need, and sometimes I just wonder, like, in my logic, in my wanting to know how things work, if I just need to let some things go and allow God to work in the supernatural in my life, honestly. So this next note is not for you all. It's for me. I put it in here so I have to say it out loud. Okay? So I'm speaking to myself. You ready? Derek, the real challenge of your faith is not to be more certain. It's to stay surprisable. What is it that you need to let go of? God, I want to live surprisable. Break it apart. Break what I thought. Break what I thought I knew. Break it apart. He goes on to say, when everyone was satisfied, because you can only be truly satisfied in Jesus and what he does for you. Your spouse isn't going to satisfy you. Your kids aren't going to satisfy you. They're not going to fulfill you. Your job's not going to fulfill you. The only person that can satisfy you is Jesus. When everyone was satisfied, Jesus told his disciples, now, go back and gather up the pieces left over so that nothing will be wasted. And I'm sure the disciples are going like, ain't nothing going to be wasted. Jesus says five loaves and two fish, okay? The disciples filled up 12 baskets of fragments, a basket of leftovers for each disciple. Verse 13. Verse 14 says, All the people were astounded as they saw with their own eyes the incredible miracle Jesus had performed. They began to say among themselves, He really is the one, the true prophet we've been expecting. Like, for what have I not asked, thought, or imagined that Christ can, has the power to do in my life? Can you imagine the disciples for a minute, like one being told to go pass out this bread and this couple pieces of fish and going, okay, well, might get past the first row, maybe. How much he's willing to show us, even though sometimes we have doubt and fear and we don't believe. Imagine being the disciples being told, now, go collect leftovers. Um, there's only five loaves, two fish. Jesus, I doubt there's going to be, what, what do you want us to do, pick up the crumbs from the hands? Like, I don't know. But I also want you to imagine with me for a minute, as they stepped out in obedience, realizing they, they picked up every crumb, as they picked up every crumb, like, Jesus has the power to provide. Like, Jesus has the power to provide when it seems like everything is broken apart, that you've lost everything, that there's nothing left over. He says, you're wrong. Let me show you. Go pick it back up. I think of the woman in the Old Testament when Elijah says, go gather the empty jars from all your neighbors. I only have like one little bit of oil and you want me to pour oil in all my neighbor's jars too? Yeah. 
And she begins to pour and pour and pour and pour and it never runs out. The very thing that caused them tension, the very thing that causes us tension, the, the thing that Christ broke apart grew, which caused their faith to grow. The very tension that they felt, God worked miracles in. And maybe the very thing that seems to be falling apart in your life, Christ is going, Let, just give it to me. Let me break it apart. Let me multiply it. Let me do something with it because you can't do it on your own. So we've got to pay attention to the tension. Maybe the tension that you have in your life is God trying to get your attention and saying, let me have it. But he goes on to say, so Jesus knowing that they were about to take him and make him their king, by force, quickly left and went up the mountainside alone because it wasn't his time. Throughout all of the gospel, you'll see it wasn't his appointed time. It wasn't his appointed time. It wasn't his appointed time. After waiting until evening for Jesus to return, for Jesus to return, the disciples went down to the lake. But as darkness fell, he still hadn't returned. So the disciples got into a boat and headed across the lake of Capernaum because you never go somewhere without Jesus. Let me show you why. By now, a strong wind began to blow, and it was stirring up the waters. They're in the middle of the storm. When we try to go into situations without Jesus, storms are going to happen. But listen, the disciples had rowed about halfway across the lake when, when all of a sudden they, they caught, caught sight of Jesus walking on the top of the waves, coming toward them, and the disciples panicked. But Jesus called to them, Don't be afraid. You know who I am. Don't be afraid, you know who I am. So even in our mess-ups, Jesus is going to say, I'm going to come rescue you. I'm going to walk out there in the storm with you. All right? Going on, it says, they were relieved to take him in. And the moment Jesus stepped into the boat, they were instantly transported to the other side. Can you imagine? I think of like, you know, Willy Wonka, the old one where they go through the tunnel and it's like they, they, they went really fast and all the things were just going by them like crazy. I was like, that would be so freaking awesome, you know? They were transported to the other side. The next morning, the crowds were still on the opposite shore of the lake, near the place where they had eaten the bread he had multiplied after he had given thanks to God. Yet Jesus was, no, uh, was nowhere to be found. They realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus hadn't boarded. And they concluded, they concluded that his disciples had left him behind. So, going on. When the people saw on the shoreline a number of small boats from the Tiberias and realized that Jesus and his disciples weren't there, they got into a boat and went to Capernaum to search for him. Like People are going to do whatever they can to get to Jesus. Like your neighbors right now, they may not outwardly say they want to know Jesus, but they're, that's what they're searching for. They're looking for, what, they're looking for the very thing that you, that you have. Verse 25 goes on to say, When they finally found him, they asked him, Teacher, how did you get here? Jesus said, magic. No, he didn't. He said, Jesus replied, let me make this very clear. You came looking for me because I, I fed you by, by a miracle, not because you believe in me. Why would you strive, and I love these couple passages, why would you strive for food that is perishable and not be passionate to seek the food of eternal life, which never spools? I, the Son of Man, am ready to give you what matters most, for God the Father has destined me for this purpose those last couple of verses just astound me like surface level why do you seek things that will one day fade away like this is surface level 
but it's so much different. The, like, let's be honest. Like, a lot of us are pursuing things that are future items of garage shells and, and garbage heaps, things that don't matter. But it's so much deeper than that. So much deeper. Than that. For many of us, we have we have just enough Jesus to get us to heaven, but but enough of the world to not walk in the power that He has for us. And Jesus wants to give you what matters most. Jesus wants to give you what matters most. Like in the Greek, that phrase where it says, in what, what matters most, it's Jesus saying that Jesus wants to give you more. He wants to give you more than what you have currently. He has so much more for your life. But we often walk in just enough power to get to heaven, but not enough power to walk here on earth. Why do you think the greatest prayer ever is? Your kingdom come. Your kingdom power come here on earth as it is in heaven. His reign is not only in heaven, but here on earth. But here's the astonishing thing about verse 27 where it says, For God the Father has destined me for this purpose. That word destined is actually this phrase in the Greek that says, has set his seal on me. Has set his seal on me. And this isn't like country backwoods, I got to seal this jar of okra for canning kind of seal. Okay? No, I'm sealing a jar. It's like a seal, like a, like a government seal on top of a letterhead. It's like when, 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 when Pilate would send a letter and pour a wax and put his ring as a seal, it carried some weight and authority with it. The word still carries authority and power to operate and change things. Jesus was sealed by the Father for the very purpose to give you what matters most, to give you more. But he's not the only one sealed. Do you know that? In fact, Ephesians 1, starting in verse 13, says, and because of him, meaning Jesus, when you who are not Jews heard the revelation of truth, you believed in the wonderful news of salvation. So there's salvation. Separate. You were sealed by the Spirit and salvation. But I love this next part. I may get in trouble. Now we have been stamped with the seal of the promise of the Holy Spirit. I might get in trouble. It's okay. Sealed for the Spirit at at salvation, but now sealed another way by the Holy Spirit. He has given to us like an engagement ring is given to a bride as first installment of what's coming. He is our hope, promise, of a future inheritance which seals us until we have all the redemption promises and experience complete freedom, all for the supreme glory and honor of God. You are sealed with the power of the Holy Spirit. The question becomes, are you tapped in? Are you tapped in? Like, oh, may we, like, God, we don't want you to to feed, just feed us. We want you to free us in this way. Free us. I want write that down. Take that note. We don't just want you to feed us. We want you to free us. Because when we when we receive the, the Spirit at salvation and, and the power that comes later through the Holy Spirit, like, that's freedom. 
That's freedom. He gives us free authority. And may we all receive the power that comes from the Spirit. So what does the seal, what does the seal give us the power and authority to do? Well, I'm glad you asked. Acts 1.8 says, but I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be seized with power and you will be my messengers to Jerusalem, throughout Judea, to the distant provinces, even to the remotest places on earth. So the first thing is, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're his witnesses to where you live, work, and play. So how? how? The question is how? How are we his witnesses? Well, Glad you asked that too, because Paul tells us that this is how the power and the authority that he gives us. You ready? 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the common good means for everybody. Like it means you're given this gift as a witness for everybody. For to one is given, uh, given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another... Uh, faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the same spirit keep going keep trolling verse 10 to to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another the ability to distinguish between spirits that's discernment to another various kinds of tongues to another that's Baptist in here may get a little scared on that one Um, kinds of tongues another the interpretation of tongues all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. How? As he wills. Remember uh, the other day when I said God doesn't operate within your unbiblical opinions or your doctrines? Like, no, like as he wills. What he wants to do, he's going to do. As he goes on, he goes on to say this in Acts, later in Acts 2.17, well before this in Acts 2.17, he says, this is what I will do in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on everybody and cause your sons and daughters to prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will experience dreams from God. The Holy Spirit will come upon all my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I will reveal startling signs and wonders in the sky above and the mighty miracles on earth below. In the last days, he says, so cessation theology cannot be absolutely correct. Just saying. Cessation theology says that was for then, not for now, because I'm uh, pretty sure it's not like then, what in the last, like we're still in the last days. Pay attention around. Watch the news. Just saying. I don't think I'm ever going to be invited back to a Baptist church to speak, y'all. Um, did I read Acts 1 Is that in there? Yeah, you'll be my witnesses, yeah. Go on and read John 6, 28. We're good. John 6, 28 says, yeah. so this, they replied, so what should we do if we want to do God's work? It's pretty simple. Jesus answered, the work you can do for God starts with believing in the one he has sent. So what are the most important things? What is the more? Number one, the believing in Jesus for salvation. That's the most important thing. And if you're in here and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're listening online later and not a follower of Jesus, it's real simple. All you have to say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm going to follow you. I know you come and died for me. 
for my sins. I'm a sinful person, so I'm turning that over to you. I'm repenting. I'm turning from the way I want to live and turning in the direction of you. That's number one. The most important thing is he's come to give salvation, to make dead things alive again. Remember last week I said he didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive, right? But number two is to live in the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And the prerequisite to that is salvation. So number one, are you a believer? Are you following Jesus? Are you, is that the more that you need today? Many of us in this room as followers of Jesus, we need to believe in Christ and his promises. And I'll give you everything you need to allow the world to be astonished at your faith. So that's been my prayer for the last couple of weeks. God, just pour out your spirit on me. God, give like whatever you have for me, I want it. Let me be a witness where I live, work, and play. Made my rounds this week at school. So you, you're aware I'm working my way through everybody. I don't even know if you know I've done this. But as I've walked around the classrooms, I've just said, hey, what's been... And I've, this is not me, y'all. This is not like... My heart was beating out of my chest every time. And I was like, you got it. I'm, I'm going to trust your spirit. I'm going to trust the power and the authority that I have that every classroom that I walk in is your classroom. So I've been, so as I'm heading out stuff and I'm trying to make my way to every classroom and do this, but I've looked at the teachers today. What's, what's, what's your most anxious about this week, this, this school year? And if they tell me, I've, I'll be like, hey, uh, well, let's pray about it. Now, to be honest, there's been some teachers like, no, nah, I don't, uh, no, nah, we're good. Like, well, just so you know, I'm still going to pray as I'm in this room. I don't believe the same way. You don't have to believe for me to pray. Like, I'm going to pray. That's for some reason you said that. I said, stop me. I'm all the way up. But anyways, it's a song for you older people. Um, just because, I, like I said last week, I'm tired of living mediocre Christianity. If God has power for me, I want every ounce of it. I don't want to get to heaven and Jesus say, I had so much more for you. Yeah. Now, I want, I want the more now. Because I believe there's a revival that's going to happen at Southfield Middle School. I believe there's a revival that's going to happen here. I believe, that, like, I believe South Knoxville is about to awaken to something. But the revival first has to start within us as his believers. We have to start believing what Christ says that we have. You have the power and authority flowing through your veins. Just ask for it. Let it manifest. God, we want to thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be here today. And thank you for the power that comes through the Holy Spirit. So as I've always prayed for the last couple of weeks, God, whatever you have for me, pour it out. Even if it goes against everything that I thought I believed. I give you permission to do that work in my life, work in their lives. May the Holy Spirit just pour out on everyone in this room that when they walk out of here, they are empowered and emboldened to be your witnesses. May everything they touch get healed. May everything that they, that they speak be utterance of your name. I speak Jesus. May they pay attention to the tension that's in their life that's, pull, that's pulling them. Maybe that's you trying to work to allow this authority and the power to work. So whatever tension that we need to pay attention to, God, just keep pulling on. I pray all this in your name.